Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Uh, our youth group and about nine other youth groups from all over the Northeast joined together on our campus for what we call the Recharge Youth Conference. And it was an incredible time. There was a little bit over 100 teenagers that were in attendance, and they were able to be fed, and they were able to be taught the things of the Word of God. They were able to make decisions. The first night, we had almost 40 young people go back and talk to a counselor and make decisions for Jesus Christ. And that's all because your church wants to invest in the next generation, and God really did a great work. One of the men that was here, my friend, his name is Dennis, he was preaching for us all week for the teen conference. And so we asked him to stay over this morning and uh, be gone from his church, which is right outside of Spokane, Washington. So we got a West Coast guy. They're, they're just waking up over there. We're having church, okay? So he's, he's a little jet lagged. He's been telling me all week, but he's ready to preach this morning. His name's Dennis Fountain, and he's the pastor of Moses Lake Baptist Church in Moses Lake, Washington. And I know he's going to be a blessing to you this morning. So as he comes to speak, would you guys welcome him this morning? And we'll hear from the Word of God. Well, aren't you thankful for salvation, those of you that know Christ? Oh, that was sad. Man, uh, aren't you thankful to be saved? I'm, I, um, <clears throat> well, I'll just tell you, I'm, my name is Dennis Fountain, my wife Hannah. Uh, we've been married almost 18 years. We have three children, Dennis, Lena, and Micah, uh, 15, 14, and 12 years old. And so you pray for me, uh, three teenagers, and uh, I'm going insane already, but... Um, no, we're, I'm thankful to be here. We started Moses Lake Baptist Church about ten and a half years ago. And how many of you have been to Washington State? You've been out there? All right, all seven of you. Good, good. Uh, Washington State. Moses Lake sits almost right in the center of the state of Washington. Uh, if you know where Seattle is on the far west coast, Spokane is the east side. Uh, we're, we're almost right in the middle of them, about three hours from Seattle, about an hour and 45 minutes from uh, Spokane. And uh, man, God's doing a great work up there. We just bought three acres. Uh, we have a, have a building kind of off the beaten path, but we just got uh, three acres at the beginning of this year, and we're looking forward to building soon, so you pray for us with that. Uh, but it's been good to see what God can do, and I'm thankful for what God's doing in your church, and I want to be a help to you this morning. I want to be an encouragement to you, and so I'm thankful for the opportunity. Those of you that were involved in the Recharge Youth Conference, man, what a weekend. Uh, praise the Lord for all of the messages that were preached. Uh, mine were okay, but Brian Sams, he always, he always nails it out of the park and did a great job. Uh, but I hope that if you were, if you were involved in, uh, in the youth conference, man, thank you for giving your time. Thank you for being involved. Thank you for that. If you weren't involved, but you could have been, I want to say next year or if uh, uh, next activities that come up, man, get involved in those. Uh, you, you will love to see what God can do uh, through you and I as we serve him. And then for those of you that say, well, I can't be involved, hey, we can all pray. And let me tell you what, we need to pray for this generation coming up. We need to pray for it. 
Uh, we need some young people. We need some, some seventh graders through 12th graders and some young adults that are just into college uh, that just get a passion for Jesus and begin to realize that uh, this, this, the Word of God is about a relationship. It's not about religion. It's not about a checklist. It's about me pursuing God with my life. And this generation is under attack. And if you don't believe me, just turn on the news for about 10 minutes or just go sit at a public school uh, for about 15 minutes and you'll see uh, the hurt and you'll see the, uh, the, the, the frustration on the young people's face. And as I uh, preach across the country and in camps and youth conference and different things like that, man, more and more, I hope the church was raised up to say, you know what, we, we want to invest in the next generation. We want to uh, be a Paul to a Timothy and help our faith uh, become their faith, not just because we said so, but because they searched in the word of God and found a God who loves them and they want to love him back. And so I, I appreciate you. I'm thankful for your love uh, for the Northeast. And uh, man, one of the Northeast and the Northwest the two most unchurched areas in the entire country. And I'm thankful for what God's doing up here. Take your Bible, if you would, and let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians and chapter number 2 this morning. 1 Corinthians and chapter number 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. 1 Corinthians and chapter number 2 this morning. You find your place there. Just put a little marker there. We'll be there in just a second. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. If you're uh, brand new at the church this morning, it's your first time, if you have a Bible there, it'll be kind of towards the, the end of the Bible, if you don't know where that is, and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Before I get into the message this morning, let me just ask you, how many of you have ever had a time in your life when you really thought that you were, uh, you were accomplishing something really, really good, only to find out that it was somebody else that was doing the work? Probably have those times. You maybe aren't thinking about them right now, but I remember when I was a kid and uh, about four and five years old, I grew up in a town called Greeley, Colorado, just about an hour northeast of Denver. Greeley was kind of a, a rural area. And so at about four and five years old, my dad taught me how to drive. But my dad, he was, my dad was a big man. He was six foot five and he would be sitting in that, in that driver's seat, and we'd be on some back roads in Greeley, Colorado, and my dad would say, all right, son, come over here and, and sit right in between my legs. All right, can you, can you see over the steering wheel? And, you know, I'd be like going like that. Yeah, dad, I can see. He'd say, all right, now put your hands at 10 and 2. And so I'd, I, he taught me where to put my hands, and, and uh, we'd, we'd get going down the road, and he showed me where the gas pedal was and the brake pedal, and, and we're there, and I'm, I have 10 and 2 set. Man, I was, I was a, let me, t let me just tell you right now, I was probably the best five-year-old driver you've ever seen in your life. Hey, I didn't, I didn't hit any curbs. I didn't hit any trash cans. I didn't run anybody over. I, was, I, I hit every stop sign. I actually came to a complete stop. I saw every light, yellow lights. I slowed down. I was the world's best five-year-old driver. Here's the only problem. My feet couldn't even touch the pedals. They barely touched the floor. I couldn't even see over the steering wheel. It was just kind of right in front of, you know, some of you people that are... Um, Gravity challenged. Uh, you might know this. You know, you know when you're driving, you kind of just got to pop up. That's how I was the whole time. And even though my hands were at 10 and 2, you know whose hand was at the bottom of the steering wheel the entire time? My dad. You know whose feet were working the pedals the entire time? My dad. 
My good driving, it had absolutely nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with me. And yet here I was, five years old, going to school. Hey, guess what? I drove today. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Man, argue with your friends. I thought I was the world's best driver. And yet my driving truly had nothing to do with me. You know, we all have those stories in our life when we think we're really accomplishing a lot and it doesn't have anything to do with us. And while we have those stories in our day-to-day business, it's, it's sad that we often have those same stories in our Christian life as well. You see, we go through times in life when we think that we're really accomplishing a lot for God. We're really faithful in our Bible study. We're really pursuing God. And we think that we are really getting some things done for the Lord. This morning, as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, I believe that 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 ideology, that thinking, I believe that was a struggle that the believers at Corinth had. Let me tie that in in just a minute, but before we look at the passage. Uh, Maybe you've been a Bible student, you've studied a little bit of Corinthians, maybe you've been in church for a long time, you've heard message uh, out of Corinthians, but we kind of need to understand uh, the context of the book of Corinthians. Uh, Context matters. Say that with me. Context. Say it again. Context. Listen, context matters. Cultural context, biblical, scriptural context, it matters. So what's going on in Corinth? What was Corinth? The city of Corinth, if you were to go and study it out, you would find that the city of Corinth at this time was one of the most popular cities. The city of Corinth at this time was a place that many people wanted to travel to. It was a place, uh, maybe we would liken it to a New York City or a San Francisco or a a Los Angeles or something like that. Somewhere that people wanted to go and, and really people actually wanted to move there. Many people wanted to live in Corinth because of the opportunities of Corinth. If you were to uh, study out the history of it, you would find that it was, it was known as being a, a very, uh, um, not only populated place, but a, a place of advancement. Corinth, for that generation, now, now for us, this really wouldn't, we, we may not see the challenge of it, but for Corinth in that generation, you could go from ruin to riches in one generation. Now, now, in our day and age, we, we kind of see and hear stories of that taking place a lot. But back then, that, that wasn't common. Actually, back then, you could go in Corinth, you could go, from, you could go from being a Roman slave, someone who was maybe taken from their home and brought into Rome and made a slave, and then you buy your own freedom. You could go from, from that Roman slavery in Corinth, you could go from that position to a position of status in your lifetime. And, and at that time, unheard of. Unheard of. So Corinth was a popular place because you could go there and you could get rich quick. It was a popular place. It had a lot to do. It was known for uh, its shopping. <laughs> the, it had the Agora. Um, the Agora really was probably the world's most uh, uh, um, famous shopping place. It was even more famous than the shopping centers in Rome at that time. But Corinth also had a dark side. 
As a matter of fact, Corinth had a very dark side. Corinth was, while it was known for being a city that drew people in for riches, Corinth was known for its depravity. Corinth probably had, many scholars believe, somewhere near 15 to 20 temples for false gods because it was just kind of a melting pot, if you will, for the known world. One of those temples, and I won't get into it this morning, but one of those temples was the temple of uh, Aphrodite or the goddess of of love. We would say the, the goddess of lust. And in that temple, that temple employed over a thousand temple prostitutes. And that disgusting life seeped into the city. It was so bad that at that time in history, if you really wanted to degrade someone, if you really wanted to put someone down, you know, I mean, you're really mad at your friend, you're really mad at somebody, you're really upset, and you want to, man, I just want to let them have it, you would say, you would say this to them, oh, you're, you're just like a Corinthian. That was the, that was the degrading statement. So it was known for an immoral place. It was known for a horrible, sin-filled, deprived, debauched city. It is there that Paul, many of you know Paul, he was once a great persecutor of the church. He trusted Christ as Savior. And then he became a great proponent for the church, man, a great preacher for Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 18, you can go and find Paul traveling into this city of Corinth. We don't have the time to do it, but God used Paul in an incredible way. Acts chapter 18, you go read it maybe this afternoon or this week sometime, and don't do it right now, not not right now. Uh, But go do it sometime this week, and you'll find that Paul, he, uh, he went in there, he stayed 18 months, and God would use Paul to literally just reach hundreds, if not thousands of people. The Word of God actually says that many believed because of Paul. I just want to pause real quick. Wouldn't that be cool if that was said of you? You know, after you pass from this life that somebody says, many believed because of, and they say your name. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? And what a, what a great goal. I hope, I hope that'd be something you want for your life, to share Jesus with people. And Many believe because of your life. Well, Paul started a church in Corinth. After starting this church, he stayed for 18 months, discipled, spoke, did so many things, and then Paul left. After he left, he had been gone probably about a year and a half, two years. Uh, A delegation, a group from the people of Corinth were sent to him. That delegation is listed in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16. You can go and read who was in that delegation. But they were sent to Paul, and they, they came to Paul, and they said to Paul, Paul, listen, the church is, uh, church is not doing good. Paul, things, th- ever since you left, Paul, things are just, uh, they're kind of a muck. Paul, it's, things are kind of a wreck. Paul, it's so bad that there's division in the church. Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul, it's so bad that they are, they are literally excusing open sin. Paul, they know about sin, and yet they're excusing it. They're just saying, ah, it's, it's commonly reported. Yeah, it, yeah, we, we know that that sin is there, but it's just, it's not a big thing. Paul, it is bad. 
Paul, they're living in sin. Paul, they're living in division. Paul, here's the biggest problem. Paul, the church at Corinth is a pride-filled church. Church at Corinth is just filled with pride. Paul, can you help us? And so Paul wrote a letter to them. And that's the letter we hold in our hands, the book of 1 Corinthians. It's actually the second letter that Paul wrote to them. But it's the first letter that we have recorded that Paul wrote to them. And it's in the the book of Corinthians that Paul writes to them to try to help them understand, hey, listen, you, and I I hope that we'll get this statement this morning because if we don't get this statement, we might miss uh, the, really the whole content of the message. You have a choice in life. You can go through life living for you in pride, or you can go through life living for Christ with a humble heart. Maybe you've been around church for a while. I've grown up in church. I'm a fourth generation pastor. My great grandfather was a church planner, started, started or helped revived around 30 churches during his lifetime. My dad, he just recently went home to be with the Lord. My dad was in ministry for 50 years. So I've, I'm 38 years old. I've grown up literally in ministry my entire life. That's all I've ever known. And can I just tell you, you probably have heard the statements. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Two decisions are on the shelf, live for God or live for self. Hey, can I tell you, that's still true today. And that's what Paul wrote to the church of Corinth about. He wanted to help them. He wanted to help you understand you can live for you or you can live for God. And this morning, just for the next few minutes, if we could, I'd like us to, to go to a portion of Paul's letter. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, knowing the context, knowing the situation, I'd like us to look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and receive help in this thought. The Christian life, listen, the Christian life has nothing to do with you. Hey, you think you're driving, but it has nothing to do with you. I think we'll be helped with this this morning. Let's read. Would you stand with me together just as we read this word, give you a moment to stretch your legs. They told me I had an hour and a half to preach, and so we'll be here until about one o'clock. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Some of you started to try to pack your coat up right then. <clears throat> first Corinthians chapter number two, and I just want to read uh, the first five verses. We're going to go th- work our way through the entire chapter today, but just the first five verses to start. Paul writes this. And I, brethren, when I... Uh, When I came unto you, I came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When I was with you, I was with you in in weakness and in fear and, and in much trembling. My speech, my preaching... It was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That, or so that, or in order that, your faith, pay attention to verse 5, in order that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
One more time, Paul is trying to help this church understand, hey, the Christian life, it has nothing to do with you. Stop being driven by pride because the Christian life is all about him. We're going to see that principle this morning from this chapter. And so let's pray and then spend a few minutes together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'd like to ask you to do something just in the quietness of your own heart. Right where you are, would you pray and ask God to speak to you this morning? Just something simple. God, would you please speak to me? God, would you please help me this morning? God, would you show me areas of pride in my life this morning? Just a minute. Would you, would you ask God, God, please speak to me? And then would you make a commitment? God, if you speak to me, I'm going to listen to you. And God, I'm going to respond to you. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for how it applies to our life. And I pray as we spend the next few minutes together, Lord, that you would help us to understand that this Christian life, that we can, we can go in and out of our days thinking that we're doing a lot. But God, help us to realize this morning that this Christian life should be in, lived in total dependence upon you. Help me with this, God. Help me this week to not be driven by pride. Help me in my relationships and my communication and my friendships and my marriage. And help each of us today, Lord, to, to see the principle of your word and understand what you have for us. Love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> Again, as we start, I just want to make sure that we're clear on the fact that the largest struggle that the church of Corinth had, you can go and you can study the entire book of Corinthians, our church. We're going through the book of Corinthians right now. I'm in um, chapter number 11. And the, one of the largest struggles they had was that area of pride. They had a major issue with pride. And uh, if, we were all, if we were all to be honest today, if we were to be honest with ourselves and if we were to be honest with the Lord, I believe this morning that if you've known Jesus for more than a year, probably if you've known Jesus for more than a week, then, then you'd be able to say with me that probably, probably at the root of every sin is pride. Probably at the root of every sin is pride. Why? Because pride says it's all about me. And that was the church at Corinth. It was all about them. We can see that they were proud because of their contention. I don't have the time to do it, but 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said, are you not divided? And there was contention within the church, and people were arguing and bickering. And Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 10, it says, only by pride cometh contention. Hey, sir, let me tell you that if there's this at home... You know what it's a result of? Well, yeah, it's her pride. No. No, it's both people. Only by pride comes contention. Hey, teenager, when you and mom and dad butt heads, only by pride cometh contention. Hey, when uh, there's some frustrating event within the church family and he takes your parking spot or she took your seat, it's only by pride that comes contention. Listen, I... I had that principle spoken at a couple's retreat about nine years ago, about ten years ago. And I went into that, that session and I was just thinking, I've, you know, I've got this marriage thing down, you know, I'm almost at ten years, I'm really good at this thing. And I heard that lesson, only by pride cometh contention, and I thought, oh, 
You know why? We are all easily driven by pride. That church was driven by pride. We find that because of their contention. You find that because of their involvement with the world around them. One man said it this way, that the church of Corinth was acting more like the culture around them than they were the Christ who was within them. And if we're not careful, that's what we do. We live just like culture around us more than the Christ who is within us. And we go through this life thinking that we are certainly successful for God because we have our reason. But I want you to notice this morning that Paul wants them and he wants us to remember that this Christian life, it's all about him, it's not about you. How does Paul help them with that? Notice three thoughts with me this morning. Number one, Paul helps them understand it is God's power. Number one, it is God's power that saved you. Hey, it's God's power that saved you. We just read the first five verses. As you work your way through these verses, Paul simply states the fact that we are saved not based upon the message of a person. We are saved based upon the power of God. In verse number one of 1 Corinthians chapter number two, Paul says, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech or wisdom. Corinth was known for its rhetoric. If you, to, <coughs> excuse me, if you were to go and study some things about Corinth, you would find that the best public speakers, they would come in and they would go into that marketplace and right outside of the marketplace would be a, a meeting area that people would go and stand and begin to speak and they would speak with excellency of words and teachers of the known world would come to Corinth during that time and they would come and give their message and uh, the, the, the people would then kind of vote. It, it almost became a popularity contest. Who's the most popular speaker? But your popularity, this is crazy, your popularity was not based upon if you could convince people of known truths. Your popularity was based upon if you could convince people of falsehoods that they knew were false, if you could convince them that those falsehoods might in fact be true. Something like this, I'm wearing brown shoes this morning. I know those are brown shoes. Many of you, unless you're colorblind, uh, you would look at those and you would say, those are brown shoes. Now, if I was in Corinth, I could come up and I would convince you that these shoes were black. I could convince you that, use excellency of speech to convince you my shoes are black. In Corinth, that was their, that was their excellency of speech. And so here's what Paul says to him. Hey, when I came to you, I didn't come with a bunch of flowery truths trying to show you something with the excellency of my speech. He says, no, I didn't come to you that way. No, I came to you. I determined, verse number two, I determined not to know anything among you except save the Lord crucified. Hey, the only thing that I did, listen, this is Paul to Corinth. We'll get some simple application to us in just a minute. But this is Paul to Corinth, and he's saying, hey, when I came to you, the only thing I wanted to do is I wanted you to be pointed to Jesus. I did not come and try to convince you of a falsehood that, that, that it was true. No, 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 no. I came, and the only thing I wanted to do was to show Christ to you. And Paul says it this way in verse number three. As a matter of fact, when I came to you, I wasn't in the best state of life. No, when I came, when I, hey, Church of Corinth, when I came and I preached Jesus to you, I came to you in weakness, I came to you in fear, and I came to you in much trembling. 
Now again, when we read the scripture, uh, sometimes we can just read it and we think, oh, that's, that's cool. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Paul's just kind of being a humble fellow. No, 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 no. Paul was speaking truth and he said to them, hey, when I came to you, things were not good in my life. Let me just review for you very quickly a few things that had just happened in the last few years of Paul's life. Before Paul came to the city of Corinth, just the last two and a half or three years of his life, here's what took place. His first missionary journey. Well, what happened on his first missionary journey? Just a few things. In Cyprus, Paul and Barnabas, they were withstood by um, Elymas, a, a sorcerer. In Antioch and Pisidia, they were persecuted by envious Jews. In Iconium, they were treated by the Jewish, uh, they were threatened, excuse me, by the Jewish leaders. And then they were, uh, that they were going to be stoned. They, they fled for their lives, but those leaders in Iconium followed them to Derby and Lystra. And in Derby and Lystra, they stoned Paul and left him for dead. Paul would return home and recover for a while, and then he would go out on a, another missionary journey. Him and Silas would travel. They would travel back to Derby and to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch and Pisidia. And then they would go through Mysia and Troas. And then they would find their way to a Macedonian region. And you can read it in Acts chapter number 16 and 15 when they would come to a place uh, called Philippi. And in Philippi, if you know the story, they were arrested and beaten simply for preaching Jesus. They were let loose and they would travel to Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, they would be threatened. They would travel from Thessalonica to Berea until the people that threatened them in Thessalonica followed them to Berea and began to beat uh, the believers there and to beat believers in Thessalonica. Paul would then go to Athens and he would preach to the people in Athens in Acts chapter number 17. And while some would believe his message, Paul, preaching for days in Athens, was mocked day in and day out with people uh, throwing out the question, oh yeah, prove it. Oh yeah, convince me. Oh yeah. And all the time, Paul was still proclaiming Jesus Christ. Listen, when Paul says that he came to Corinth in weakness, I don't know about you, but if that had been my last three or four years, I'd be saying the same thing. I came to you in weakness. Man, I came to you and my, I, I, was, I was weak spiritually. I was worn out physically. I was drained emotionally. And so when Paul says to them, I came to you in weakness, he was not just simply speaking unto them hyperbole. No, 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 no. Paul was worn out. As a matter of fact, when Paul was in Corinth, he wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians. And here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians to the believers at Thessalonica about his time in Corinth. He says, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all of our affliction and distress by your faith. You know, Paul said to the believers at Thessalonica when he was in Corinth, he said, hey, I was struggling, but I heard you guys were doing well and it helped me. So when Paul says, I came to you in weakness, he wasn't just blowing smoke. He was weak. He said, I came not to you with excellency of speech, but I, I just wanted to point you to Jesus. And when I came, I came in weakness, but I also came with fear and trembling. Do you see that in verse number three? You see in verse number three where he says, I didn't come to you with all these things. I came to you in weakness with fear and trembling. His fear and his trembling, you can go and you can find in Acts chapter 18. Listen to what God said to Paul while he was in Corinth. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night. And he said... Be not afraid, but speak, 
Hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. When Paul was in Corinth, you know what God had to tell him? Paul, I know you're scared. Paul, I know you're afraid. But Paul, just just preach me to them. You know what Paul's fear was causing him to not want to speak up for Christ anymore? We've got time for a quick side note. Next time you're afraid to tell somebody about Jesus, just remember, so was Paul. We sometimes, we look at our uh, patriarchs of the faith and we look and we think, they didn't have any struggles. Oh, they didn't have any fear. Hey, you know what? Paul, Paul was fearful to speak about Christ in his culture just like you and I are sometimes. But here's what Paul said. When I came to you, I wasn't trying to woo you with good speech. No, as a matter of fact, I was emotionally drained. I was physically drained. I was fearful. I was trembling. And I simply just wanted to point you to Christ. Verse 4, again, my speech wasn't with enticing, in, with enticing words, but it was in demonstration of the Spirit and of God's power. That word demonstration, it means we, we would liken it to a, a, a lawyer trying to prove a case in, 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 in court. Paul said, I, I wasn't trying to prove anything about me. I was just trying to point you to Christ. So that, look at verse 5. So that your faith would stand not in the power, not in the man's wisdom, right? Verse number five, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Hey, here's what Paul is saying to them as we move along this morning. Paul is simply trying to help them understand. When I came to you, I was not coming to you with my strength. I wasn't coming to you with my wisdom. I wasn't coming to you with the message of Paul. I wasn't coming to you trying to help you to like me more. No, I was coming to you and all I wanted to do was preach Jesus to you. Why? Because it is God that saved you. Can I just say this morning that if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is a great truth for you and I to remember as well, that our salvation, it is completely based upon the power of God. And you, those of you that are believers, like Corinth, we at times have a culture that tells us to pursue man's wisdom. And we have culture to tell us to uh, pursue the things that we think. And listen, religion in the world... Man-made religion, works-based religion, it just makes sense, humanly speaking. Think about it. At your job, if you do really good at your job, if you are the best employee, you're going to get promoted. Right? That's performance-based. Hey, think about this. Husbands, listen. Let's just be honest. Husbands, if you come home with a dozen roses... And a gift card to your wife's favorite store. And you say to her, it's your night. I love you. Here's a gift card. I'll watch the kids. I'll watch the grandkids. I'll take care of the dishes. I'll do do that. Listen, your wife, you're her hero right in that moment. Well, why? Let's be honest. It's because you came home, you gave her some flowers, gave her a gift card, you did something. Now, now we all know, we'll know that she should just love me because I'm her husband. Right, right, we know that. But humanly speaking, 
Are you still with me this morning? Humanly speaking, performance-based stuff makes sense. So to this world, performance-based religion just makes sense, doesn't it? I should be saved because of my good works. And here's what Paul's saying to him. Wrong. Hey, salvation has nothing to do with you. You are saved by the power of God. What's the second thought Paul gives them? He gives them this thought. Hey, not only is it God's power that saves you, but number two, it is God's Spirit. Hey, listen, it is God's Spirit that teaches you. It's God's Spirit that teaches you. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 6, down through verse number 14. We need to read quick. How be it? Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught, but we, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God, God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For because the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the, world, or but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, the unsaved man, Receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. What is Paul saying in these verses? The word how be it. It's Paul saying, while I preach God's wisdom, and I preach wisdom, it is not going to be wisdom that this world gets. In verse 6, we read that this wisdom is a wisdom that even uh, great leaders of this world could not figure out. When it says princes that come to naught, uh, those who at that time, they had it all, but they were, they were uh, um, done and gone after that time. Paul is saying, hey, they don't even know. They, don't even, they, they thought they had it all, but the princes of this world, they did not understand God's wisdom. The Old Testament saints, they didn't get what you and I understand. And here's what Paul is getting at with all of them, and we, just, we don't have time really to get into it. But he's saying, hey, God's wisdom, God's wisdom is above your wisdom. You are established and you are saved by God's wisdom. But then here's what God does. God moves His Holy Spirit into your life to teach you God's wisdom. When you look at verse number 9, he's quoting... Oh, I'm skipping ahead. Let me go back. Go back to verse number 7. Verse number 7 says that God in His wisdom always had a plan. You see it, we speak uh, the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Well, what is he talking about? Hey, this book records for you and me. It records history. 
Genesis to Revelation. There's some history in there. There's some prophecy in there. There's some future events in there. But most of this for us is history. But do you know what it all points to? It all points to the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible, pre- that's what the Bible speaks to. God, before the foundation of the world, chose Jesus Christ, his own son, to die on the cross for you and for me. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse number 39. He said, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. Or in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Hey, listen, the Bible, the word of God, history is all about the redemptive plan of God through Jesus Christ. And in verse number 9, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. It's not a verse about heaven. While it could be true and the principle's true, Paul is simply saying, hey, listen, God knew that he told us that people would not understand the redemptive plan of God, but verse 10, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. And what does all of this mean? Basically, Paul is trying to help him understand that it is the Holy Spirit of God that teaches us. So why are you trying to pursue the wisdom of this culture? You see, the church at Corinth, they were being led by pride. They were getting caught up in human wisdom and reasoning. And here is Paul reminding them, saying, hey, listen, the fact that we don't uh, know anything, the fact is we don't know anything because of our wisdom. No, 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 the only way that you as a Christian grow, the only way that you can know the deep things of God is by the Spirit of God. Listen, when you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit into your life, and the Holy Spirit of God wants to teach you new things. Romans 8, 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if so, be in the spirit. Uh, And if so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Listen, the unsaved person, someone who doesn't know Jesus, they are not led by the spirit of God. They are not taught by the spirit of God. But you and I, we are taught by the spirit of God. But here's what was happening in the church of Corinth. And I would venture to say this today, that here's what happens in modern day Christianity. That we have a lot of Christians who know, I know that I stand in the power of God, that I'm saved in the power of God, but then we begin to live out the Christian life and we begin to try to understand things and think about things without the Spirit of God. Oh, oh, He's living in you, but we silence Him. We silence the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, hey, the Holy Spirit, He's, he's not at home in your life like He should be. If I were to come to your house today and I were to come over and, and you said, Dennis, come on in. Hey, Dennis, come on in. Sit down here on the couch. Make yourself at home. Make yourself at home, Dennis. Make yourself at home. Do you, do you want a cup of coffee? My answer is always going to be yes. I always want a cup of coffee. I drink too much coffee. Coffee and water, that's it. That's my besetting sin. Is coffee and spilling water on myself. So I sit down. You leave. You go to get your cup of coffee. You come back with that cup of coffee and I'm not in your living room anymore. You go, Dennis? Hey, Dennis, where where are you at? Dennis? You start going through your house and you make it all the way back to your bedroom. And there I am just laying back on the bed. Legs crossed. TV's on. I'm scrolling through channels trying to find the football game. You'd say, um, uh, Dennis, what are you doing? I'd say, well, you, uh, you said make yourself at home. 
That's what I would do at my house. I'd go in, I'd find a cup of coffee, I'd lay down in bed, take Sunday afternoon nap. If I find a game, great. If I don't, good, my nap's longer. You'd say to me, uh, Dennis, um, that, uh, that's not really what I meant. No, when, when, I, when I said make yourself at home, I, I really meant like stay in the living room. I, I mean, maybe take your shoes off, maybe. Dennis, like, this is my house. Do you know what I'm afraid a lot of Christians have done? See, the Holy, hey, the Holy Spirit of God moved into your life and you said, hey, great to have you. You want a cup of coffee? Stay here in the living room. Oh, make yourself at home in the living room. Hey, you want to know why a lot of Christians don't grow in their life? It's because we push the Holy Spirit into a little corner, a little cave, a little living room of our life, and we say, hey, just stay there. rest of the house is mine. You want to know why there's some Christians in here that you've been saved for 35 years, but you don't lead people to Jesus? It's because you push the Holy Spirit off into a little living room. You want to know why there's some Christians in here? They've been saved for 20 years, but all they do, listen, all they do is come to church on Sunday morning and check the box. You want to know why we do that? It's because we've taken the Holy Spirit of God and we forgot that the, 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 the salvation that we, hand, yeah, that, that we have, we know it stands in the power of God, but we forget that it is the Holy Spirit of God that desires access into every area, every closet, every countertop, every drawer. He wants access into your life and what you and I have to do, we need to understand that God will not force himself into your life. No, 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 no. He says, hey, I want you to open the door and then give me the key. I want you to show me around. I want you to give me access into your heart. You know what this world needs? This world needs some Christians who not only understand that our salvation stands in the power of God, but listen, it is God's spirit that teaches you. It is God's spirit that is going to help you. It is God's spirit that is going to mold you and make you more like Jesus Christ. And as you and I get in the Word of God, God will use the he, he will use the Word of God and with the Spirit of God help the Son of help the child of God become more like the Son of God. It is God that does all of the work in this Christian life. The only thing that you and I need to do is simply say, "Here I am, God, take all of me." You know what your workplace needs? Your workplace needs someone who understands that not only does my salvation stand in the power of God. But listen, my life is taught by the Spirit of God. Notice the third truth and we're done. Not only does God's power save us and God's Spirit teach us, but lastly today, God's mind directs us. Hey, it is God's mind that should direct us. Look at verse number 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. There's three men listed Three individuals, three people, three people groups listed in, in these, uh, this section of Corinthians. Um, before we read real quick, the, uh, uh, the chapter and book, uh, chapter and verse divisions, we know this, chapter and verse divisions, you know, Paul didn't write like verse 14. Verse 15, you know, it's just a letter. So here's what Paul does. If you notice, Paul talks about the spiritual man. He talks about the natural man. And in the next chapter, he's going to talk about the carnal man. Spiritual, saved, knows the Lord. Natural, not saved, doesn't know the Lord. Carnal, saved, know the, knows the Lord, but is living like the natural man. Here's what Paul says in verse 15. The spiritual, those that are saved, they judge all things. 
That word judge, it doesn't mean like you and I would to uh, condemn or to uh, make free. The word judge, it just simply means to examine, to sort through, to sift through. The spirit of man judgeth, or excuse me, he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here's what Paul is simply getting at. He's helping them understand when you got saved, you got a new way of thinking things through. You got a new way to think about things. Listen, the Holy Spirit of God moved into you and now you're spiritual. And now because of the Holy Spirit, you have his spirit not only to teach you, but you have his spirit to direct you, to help you discern things, to help you sift things out. Hey, listen, this morning we need to know that the unsaved or the natural man, the Corinthian that was around them, they could only think what was being given to them, but the child of God thinks differently. Why? Because the Spirit teaches me and God's mind directs me. And here's what Paul says. Who's the teacher of the Lord? And nobody. But we have the mind of Christ. What is Paul getting at? It is God's mind that helps direct you. And you need to understand that this lost culture, they will not get you because you have a different mind than them. You have the mind of Christ. Hey, listen, when you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit who not only teaches you, but who reveals to you the mind of Christ. And he takes the word to give you God's thoughts on things so that you can see this world through the filter of this word. Can I just help us with something this morning? A lot of Christians today are disillusioned with what is going on in this world because they are allowing their mind, they're allowing their mind to be uh, influenced more by the thinking of this world than the thinking of this God. And let me just tell you something this morning as we uh, begin to wrap some things up here. No wonder there are some Christians. Hey, I don't know if you've heard about it, but up in Washington, we had this thing called COVID. Have you all heard of that? You guys have that here? I'm joking. I know you do. You're like, doesn't he know? Yes, I'm just kidding. Listen, you want to know why there are some Christians? Hey, is COVID a real deal? Yes. Yeah, it's a real deal. But should we fear everything about COVID? No. No, we shouldn't. But you want to know there's a lot of Christians, their life is being driven by fear right now. Should we? I told our church family when we got into this whole mess, I said, listen, listen, just don't go around licking doorknobs and you'll probably turn out okay. I'm a germaphobe. Like, COVID for me, I'm like, finally, people are washing their hands. I was the guy before COVID that my wife and I would get on a plane. I'd be like, give me a wipe. I'm wiping down the tray because I, I don't know what kid has been changed on this tray. That was me. But you know what? COVID came and here's what Christians did. Ah! Don't talk to anybody. Don't smile. And Christian, listen, Pastor Dennis, why are you saying this? Because we have a lot of Christians that live in fear. We look at the political culture and we go, oh my goodness. If you're a Republican, then you say, I can't believe a Democrat is in the White House. If you're a Democrat, you say, then I can't believe a Republican is in the White House. Hey, listen, your answer and my answer and this world's answer is not going to come from the White House. It's not going to come from, from your leaders and your governor. 
It's not going to come from your senators. It's not, listen, hey, the answers that this world needs are in this book. And what this world needs is a Christian to get in this book and get the mind of God and let the Spirit of God teach them. You want to know why so many Christians never lead somebody to Christ? It's because they know they're saved and I'm good. Amen. I'm good. Hey, there are people around you that they are dying and they are going to hell. And you have all of these little townships around here where people have no clue what the hope of Jesus is. And you have the hope of Christ. And yet you come. We come to our church and we put on our tie and we carry our Bible. But we never tell someone about Jesus Christ. Hey, you want to know what is happening to the churches of America right now as Christians are just sitting by and forgetting that it is God that does the work. We think we're so great. We think we've given to missions and I've gone to church and I've given my tithe and oh my goodness, I sing in the choir and I accomplish these things. Boy, I'm a, I'm, I'm this, I'm a pastor. I'm a youth pastor. I'm a music pastor. I have my accomplished list. Hey, this world doesn't need your list. This world needs the mind of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul said to the believers at Corinth. Quit living like the culture around you and start being reminded about the Jesus Christ that lives within you. Hey, your work this week they don't just need a saved Christian. They need a spirit-filled Christian. Hey, your work this week, they don't need just a saved believer that knows they're going to heaven. They need somebody who spent time with Jesus that morning and got alone with God and said, God, I need your power in my life today. God, I need your spirit to direct my words today. God, I need you to help me learn today. God, I need you to do this through me. I'm not driving this car, God. It is your hand on the steering wheel. It is your foot on the gas. It is your foot on the brake. This is what this world needs. And I'm going to tell you right now, as a Christian... You will flounder and you will just become a Christian whose life goes to naught unless we get the principle today. Quit being driven by pride. Quit living this life for you and get back to the place where you say, God, I know I'm saved by you. God, I know that your power saved me, but God, I recognize today. I recognize today that it is your spirit that's going to teach me. It is your mind that is going to direct me. This world says, be confident in you and what you have to offer. And Paul says, it has nothing to do with you. Hey, go back to where your faith started. Your faith started at the strength of Jesus. And your faith is, faith is going to continue in the strength of Jesus. I told you that I was raised in ministry. And I'm going to just say this morning, I know that your church it doesn't have a pastor right now. I know that. But can I help you? Can I help you for a quick minute? While you need to pray, you need to pray that God directs you a pastor. You need to pray it's the right person. You need to pray that it's his spirit that leads a pastor here. I just want to remind you that a pastor is not the Savior. Hey, your answer isn't we just need a pastor. No, your answer is you, you need to step up and be led by the Holy Spirit of God. You need to step up and say, God, help me not to walk in pride. God, 
Help me to remember it is your power that saved me. It is your spirit that teaches me. It is your mind and your word that will direct me. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.